There was a rather peculiar limerick being delivered by someone in the shuttlecraft bay. I am not sure I understand it. There was a young lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a... Captain to security, come in! Did I say something wrong? I don't understand their humor either. Live long and prosper. Don't do that. I am not a merry man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that usually explores the Star Wars expanded universe by deep dives into TVs, movies, comics, and everything else. But currently, we are embarking on a limited series where we explore the Star Trek universe. I am Peter, and I am slowly becoming unhinged as I put the pieces together. He's my wife and doesn't want to have sex with me. It's Mike. Weird. Weird intro. (laughs) Yep. Well, it's a weird, ep- weird episode. So it needed a little bit of a weird intro. Fair enough. I just, I'm excited to get into this. this is our first exploration of Deep Space Nine. Oh. And I'm very excited to see if you have similar feelings to a new type of Star Trek. Um, because, you know, if you listen to our last episode, you seem to be coming around on at least Next Generation. And I also hear that you've been watching a little bit of Discovery. Isn't that right? Yeah. Discovery feels very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost done with season one and really enjoying Ooh, it. Um, tight. yeah. Yeah. I like discovery quite a bit. We probably won't hit a discovery episode in this series yep. because I, you are no watching it. Yeah. No, yeah no um, but you know, it's, it can be uneven. There's some high, high points that will dip into some very low points, but overall I really, really like it. And some of the seasons are nuts. Um, Ooh. season four yeah. just, just dropped and I got, very emotional at the end of the season four premiere. I thought it was oh. one of the most incredible things I have not, I have seen on TV and I'm wow. not being hyperbolic. I really, really, really love the end of the, the premiere of season four. So I am excited that you are on that journey. Wow. Okay. Well, but for now, are you ready to get on your space horse and go into a Star Trek Western? Uh, What? I'm so, like, did we watch the same thing? <laughs> I'm being a little hyperbolic. I think we'll talk about this a little bit, but I think to me, I think I think of Deep Space Nine as almost a Western uh, in, in in Star Trek universe. I this guess. episode a little less, but we will chat about that. Yeah. Mike, are you ready I to am, hit warp drive? I, I suppose. I suppose let's do that warp drive. O'Brien awakens to a station full of strangers. Not one of them was real. Where nothing seems normal. All I could think of was that this was not my Kanko. And friends. They got to you. Act like enemies. All right, let's have a little talk. Who the hell are you? Has a mysterious force taken over the crew? Just surrender to them and you'll be fine. Or is O'Brien losing his mind? Turn the ship around and go back. On the next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We'll start with a summary. Upon returning from a mission to the Parada system, Chief Miles O'Brien begins to notice the crew acting strange around him and suspects there may be some unknown influence on the station. Completely in line with the general vibe of their marriage, Miles awakens to an empty bed, finding his wife and child paying little attention to him. No red flags there. 
As he moves through the day, though, Miles slowly becomes more suspicious of his friends and family. His commander, often open and welcoming, seems closed off and going over his head. His friend, Dr. Bashir, pokes and prods his butt for hours, and he roughs up station conman Quark over a racquetball misunderstanding. He's hearing whispers, and he may be a secret replicant. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 14, Whispers. Oh, boy. How did you feel? Let's start general thoughts. How did you feel about this episode, Mike? Um, I watched it twice to kind of test my feelings against it. Mm-hmm. And I would say uh, I was bored. It was, it was, it was fine. It mm-hmm. was like a, it, it was, you know, it's my general mood of like, yeah, it's fine. Interesting. I mean, I can I can get into that, but that's kind of you know I'm giving away the headline of I, I I'm I'm going into this conversation open to having my mind changed because I will say as a whole I like Star Trek um, mm-hmm. and this journey has given me an appreciation for it already, but this episode is. Mm, well, we can get into it, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a good prompt to kind of start the conversation, and maybe it will help to hear my thinking of why I picked this one. Yeah. That's so, kind of what I'm waiting for there. But I, yeah, and I can, again, along the way I can dive into what didn't work for me, but yeah, absolutely. So I think first thing, I mean, I did want to, I think part of this, when I was thinking about this limited series and we talked about it is not only just to get my buddy into something that I, I I enjoy. So we have more common things to enjoy together, but I wanted this to be kind of a guidepost for people who are Trek curious. And so I obviously wanted to go into Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, historically, I think the popular culture would say, like most Star Trek started uneven. Uh, The first season or two is maybe a little shaky, but they really tried something a little different. It was almost the anti-next generation in a lot of ways, which we will get into. Um, It's a dirtier, a little bit of a darker show. Um, It deals with wars. It deals with the gray area where maybe the Federation might be the shining beacon of hope where everyone is very clear on their ethics and morals. You know, this is a place where the ethics and morals are a little grayer. Um, And it's a different vibe because, you know, for the most part, we're on this space station that was a Cardassian space station. They took it over from some bad guys um, and they liberated this world that had just gone through a huge war. So you're seeing some very hurt people and you're, you're very stationary guarding this wormhole. Whereas, you know, the Enterprise is zipping around, seeing fantastic new worlds. A lot of the mystery and the fantastic things are coming to this space station for you. Um, so it is definitely a different vibe. So I wanted to introduce you to that vibe. What did you think about the tonal differences between Deep Space Nine and Next Generation? I think it's interesting hearing you say that because I think, if if you would allow me to be so bold, Peter, I mm-hmm. think maybe you picked the wrong episode to exemplify that. Then <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably um, true. I I I I I could see that. If I squint at this episode, but it's not necessarily, this isn't the episode. I would, I would come back and say, yeah, I don't think I could have ever picked that up based on this episode though. And I, I don't, I, I believe you. I just don't think this is the episode to show that, but that interests, that actually does, that interests me less because what you're describing to some degree is 
the territory Star Wars is in right now with things like Boba Fett and Mandalorian and kind of where they're going. So that itch is kind of being scratched. Um, yeah, yeah I, hope, I hope that's not unfair. No, but. no, no. I think that's actually a really good point, and I will cop to that. I think my feeling is I didn't want to throw you into the deep mythology and it be too jarring, I guess. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not going to joke you, and I'm not going to say, like, this is a total tonal shift. I mean, it's still Star Trek, you know? It's, yeah. It's the the places we're playing are kind of, you know, along the edges, not the core spirit of the show. So it's still going to be, at its core, a Star Trek show and like TNG in that way. I think I, but I can definitely see that there are flavors of that. So you're getting introduced to some of those things, but it's not super apparent. So I can totally see why that introducing you to that would be, this would be the wrong episode. I think of it less of Star Wars. What I do think of it as is, I feel like we've talked about this, but you've never seen Deadwood, right? Um, I've seen episodes. Okay. So Deadwood, for those of you who don't know, it's an HBO show that was very great um, about the Black Hills and the Dakotas during the Wild West time. So it's a Wild West period piece. And it's this show is it's kind of a mix between Deadwood and Battlestar Galactica. And what I mean by that is that the Deadwood part is we're introduced to Quark, which I, I'm very interested to hear how you feel about Quark the Ferengi. He is the bartender on the station and they this is one of the things about you know going outside the line because it's a very non-federation thing to support a bartender and a casino on one of their space stations but cisco the commander knew that after this period of war they needed some semblance of normalcy for the for the people who live on the station for the civilians and so he essentially blackmails quirk into staying in on the station and setting up his his gambling establishment. Honestly, it's they don't ever really come out and say it. It's a gambling establishment. It's a bar, and it's kind of a, a brothel. So he has a hollow suite in there where mm, people weird. can do. We haven't really done any hollow episodes yet, which I think would be really fun to see you you watch. Um, but he has a hollow suite there where you can you can replicate anything that you your heart imagines and so we see them like go to ski slopes and you know the federation people will relive famous battles in the civil war or something like that mm. but they also intimate pretty clearly that a lot of people are using that for sex so yeah i mean that's an example of something very non-federation that cisco the commander is like cool with because he sees the greater good in it right yeah um and as part of that quirk is straight up a criminal he runs crime rings he goes behind their back and they know about it but they turn a blind eye because uh, the good he brings to the station mm. is not the word uh is you know outweighs the bad we also have a uh, you see odo in this episode you get introduced to him really quick he's the station security commander and he's a cool character as well um his nickname is the constable and he is a very like wild west sheriff all he cares about is justice and he might go outside the lines and really punish someone but he just cares about justice and mm -hmm. so we have those archetypes in this show that that make it feel very wild west at the same time you see this wormhole 
which I think is a good thing for us to talk about that Miles O'Brien goes through. So the significance of this wormhole is, as I mentioned in the last episode, the planet the station is orbiting is called Bajor. They're a very spiritual and religious people. And they just went through years and years and years of brutal occupation by the Cardassians. And they became essentially freedom fighters slash terrorists, depending on the way you look at it, throwing away their peaceful ways to defend their planet and kick the Cardassians off their planet, right? And so in that spirituality, once the Federation moves in, they discover this wormhole, which no one knew was there. And what it lets you do is travel 70,000 light years into another quadrant called the Gamma Quadrant, somewhere that people could never, ever travel. And it unlocks this area of space that is unknown and completely new to the Federation. It's all of a sudden this tiny planet and this tiny tiny space station is almost the center of the universe for economy and travel and, quite frankly, war. And so the Bajorans see it as a spiritual prophet. Their prophets live in there, their their gods live there, and they bestowed it onto them. So there's also this weird spirituality in there which makes it very BSG and not... uh, doesn't seem like next generation because they never ever talk about spirituality. Uh, Cisco is almost like a, they call him the emissary. He's like a prophet that he's worshiped by the Bajoran people. So there's all this really interesting, again, gray area in the show. We don't dive into it a lot here, but I think those are the vibes that I hope now that I'm explaining it, you can kind of see a little bit of that in the episode. Um, and just generally speaking, how do you feel about introducing some of those elements like spirituality and conflict into our our utopian Star Trek? Uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, didn't this is the first time hearing about that, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of taking you at your word that that's what I was watching because that's not what I watched. Fair enough. Um, so sounds. Um, it doesn't sound like a Star Trek I'm interested in. Mm, okay, because you're because I think what you're what you're telling me is like they're trying to do something different. But like I don't know Star Trek to begin with, so different for me is just more to con- more. I don't know. It's you know I, I don't have a baseline, so I guess I don't want different quite yet. So it sounds fine, but also I'm just trying to get to know Star Trek, not to. Um, I'm not looking for it to change. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. I think I get that. So I will wrap it up and maybe I will consider because there are a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine that get a little more spiritual and there are some that get a little bit more into the conflict with the Cardassians and show kind of that little gray, that gray area a little more. So maybe that's something we might bring up. Maybe not. I will have to think about it a little bit more. So while we think about that, why don't we talk about the episode itself? And I will jump into the second reason I thought this was good is we talked about how Star Trek does mystery well. And so I thought there are a couple key Star Trek things in here that I wanted to introduce you to that I find interesting. I thought this was a cool mystery. Um, and I thought the paranoia of it was very interesting and cool. I think when Star Trek does mystery, there's this suspense and tension where you don't really know what's going on that I kind of like. I read that this episode was inspired by classic movies like The Parallax View and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. Um, And I thought that was kind of a cool vibe. And this is actually kind of something that occurs in Star Trek. And I think it's kind of interesting that Miles O'Brien 
he thinks something has invaded the station and taken over his friends and family's minds and has some nefarious purpose because honestly stuff like that happens in Star Trek. There might be some, some virus that infects the crew. And so they all act weird and try to sabotage everyone or everyone forgets every person they've ever met. And so these people have been working together for 20 years, all of a sudden are strangers to each other. So weird things like that happen on the station. So it makes a lot of sense that he'd just jump to like, there's some big conspiracy and everyone's lost their minds except for me. And it adds this cool paranoia. And so I thought that was a cool vibe. How did you feel about the mystery aspect of this episode? Um, how did I feel about the mystery aspect? It, it's funny when I first started watching it, like the first thing that one of the first things that comes to your mind, and I think this is kind of a natural part of any mystery for the viewer is trying mm-hmm. to solve it or, and I think yeah. often we grasp at analogs as useful, like, and the first thing I thought was like, oh, this is going to be like the sixth sense. Like I was, I was jokingly mad, like, oh, he's the ghost, um, mm-hmm. it, which I, I suppose wasn't far off. Um, but the more I watched it, the less I was like, oh, it's probably not what's happening here. It's probably, I was like kind of wrestling with, oh, maybe he's like, it seems like everyone is acting so odd, but he seems normal. So maybe this is a, um, like a non, like a, a reality prison he's been put in, mm-hmm. but it's just something's not working. So everyone's off. But I think this is, this is a general comment on all mystery for me is I really like when the mystery brings in the viewer to let them solve with the show or the book or the whatever piece of media and I think to do that, you need to leave a really compelling breadcrumb trail that on second viewing, you can go back and say, oh, yeah, oh, I missed that. Oh, I didn't put that together. Kind of elements like that. And I don't think this did that well. Um, Interesting. Which is fine. But I think um, maybe it's because it's my first time ever viewing, I don't know, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine. But I don't think the bread trail for the viewer and again this is just how I assess mystery was well done like there was no way as a viewer I would have been able to put that together I'm completely reliant on the characters and the storytellers to do that here um, because there's just no bread breadcrumb trails so on my kind of like asinine mystery scale that's it's fun once but it stops after that so it's like I think they did well with what they had, but it's not like in the terms of like mystery genre, I wouldn't rank it high. Interesting. Okay. That's fair. Um, And I think maybe that's just a difference of how the story works for you versus me. I'll say when I remember clearly when I first watched this episode, seeing those breadcrumbs and not really knowing what I think, the sixth sense thing is a good call out because I think that's maybe where I went as well is like, okay, I'm asking myself naturally. I've seen stories like this is the issue with O'Brien or with everyone else. Yeah. And I thought that they did a good job actually of that. Um, I actually saw a quote from one of the writers who, and maybe this speaks to a little bit of why this might've been a not great episode to choose. Um, 
he thought that the episode came up a little bit short for one particular reason. And his quote is, we had to stick entirely on O'Brien for every minute. We couldn't cut away to any of the other characters because they'd obviously be saying, we don't think O'Brien's O'Brien. So we could never open the story up to the audience and have a B story or even linger on two characters after O'Brien leaves the room because it would be giving the story away. And that's kind of something that hasn't, it's kind of a new storytelling element in Star Trek. I'm sure there's other episodes like that, but notably, yeah, there's no B story. It's very, everything is seen through O'Brien's focus. It reminds me a lot of the Harry Potter books. And one of the things I like is, yeah. you know, if Harry Potter's not in the room, you don't know what's happening. And I think that adds to kind of the mystery and paranoia of it in a really cool way. And then when I rewatched it for this episode, I did see those breadcrumbs. You know, I saw, you know, the first time I'm like, why is, why is Keiko taking their daughter away at five in the morning? Like, that's a weird thing for them to doing be doing. Is there some conspiracy here? And then now I'm seeing like, oh, she knows that O'Brien, this O'Brien is a stranger and doesn't want their daughter around the stranger because they don't know what he could be up to. So she's trying to get him away. And that kind of changed it totally for me in an interesting way. Um, you know, giving him busy work away from critical systems because obviously they might think that he's there to sabotage the station or these peace talks or something like that. So you don't want him working on the security for the station because who knows what he's going to get up to as a double agent. I thought that seeing those from, it almost opened the door so I can see the motivations of the characters, even though we don't spend any other time with them. And that, that part worked for me personally, but I could see why it might not work for you. Yeah, I guess I'm, that's I, I I totally see where you're going. I guess I'm wondering like I don't that that like that's it. So that's a breadcrumb of like, mm-hmm. but that one's a a rather odd one. Like the, you know the because it's it wasn't something smaller and significant. It was, and maybe again this is why this episode was weird. I don't I don't know these characters or who they are or how they act. Um, so. For That's me, I was point, just like, I, I was like, oh, these these guys have a cold relationship, and I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe that's normal for them, or uh, like, yeah, so much of it was like, oh yeah, I, I guess. Uh, so, so like, uh, for me, I was like, hundred percent, like, it's hell of weird that this mom would just be like, oh, our daughter's spending the night somewhere, because if my wife was like, oh, our, you know, our, it, you know, he's spending the night somewhere, that's why, or like, we're getting up at five in the morning to go somewhere, I would be like, what the hell, red flag, like. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is weird, but I didn't have a baseline to put them against, so I was just like, oh, uh, okay, so maybe that's that's why the breadcrumbs weren't great breadcrumbs for me, because I was just mm. like, okay, I guess this is how characters act in this show, like uh, to some degree. That is a great point, and I think you maybe just unlocked it. I think that that makes a lot of sense, and I think, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll shout this out too. I joked about it a little bit in the uh, opening. And maybe it's a little bit unfair, but there's always been this joke about O'Brien and Keiko and their daughter um, because they were on the Enterprise as well. You you may remember that uh, we saw O'Brien briefly yeah. in the last uh, Next Generation episode. He They have a lot of storylines in Next Generation, then they moved over to Deep Space Nine. And their chemistry has never been that good. Just something okay. about the actors that they they picked for this. It just, and the weird conflicts they get into kind of the joke is that they're in a loveless marriage and 
it might be a little unfair, but, and I don't think that's the intention of their relationship. So that one's completely fair that, you know, that's funny. Their I was relationship's wondering, always awkward. When you said that at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell if you were being serious or joking or like, and only, so that joke, mm. it was funny. I, I wanted to circle back to that. Okay. Because that's a, that's a Star Trek inside joke. So because it didn't, yeah, I was like, oh, that seems like an important, uh, like potential factor of like, oh, they're, they're not in a great marriage. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. That being said, I think this is a good platform because I like to talk about new characters when we get introduced. So let's spend some time talking about the characters and what you thought about them. And maybe I could flesh out a little bit of their character to kind of give you a little bit more of that shading. And I will also, I'll, I'll take the L on this one that I, I see exactly what you're talking about, that if you don't understand kind of their previous relationship, the paranoia and suspense might not work as much for you. So um, we talked about, I think, probably the main character that we should talk about, and again, in retrospect, I'm a little bit bummed because you don't spend a lot of time with him, is Commander Benjamin Sisko. Um, At this point, he is a commander. Eventually, he becomes a captain in this show. He is the commander of the, the station, as I mentioned. He's a very interesting person. I think in the biggest way, he is the representation of... And I say this in a loving way, not in a way that one's bad, one's good, but the anti-next generation vibe of the show. And they kind of hit that nail on the head very, very quickly in the first episode because his backstory is, we don't have to get into the whole lore about it, but essentially Picard is responsible for the death of his wife. Um, And... A lot of other things that he, Picard got, you know, I'm not going to get in the lore of it. It's a lot, but there's a big battle that Picard was responsible for. And he ended up with a lot of Federation deaths, including the death of Cisco's wife. And so we opened this series and Cisco is a very broken man. Um, he is disheartened with the Federation. He hates Picard. There's a pretty cool scene in the beginning where Picard is actually the one who gives him the space station in the first episode, and he's very cold with him the entire episode. Who are we talking about? (laughs) Sorry, this is Commander Sisko. So he is the, uh, he's got the red shirt. He's the guy who loves baseball. He's the captain of the whole space station. Um, The guy who loves baseball. I don't know. I I feel like this was such an O'Brien episode. It's hard for me to think about anyone besides Keiko and O'Brien. So he's the guy, and okay, so he's the guy when things start. The first thing happens when one of O'Brien's workers is kind of going over his head. He's like, well, I'll talk to the commander about that. And he goes and talks to his boss, essentially, and is like, hey, why'd you assign this dude to work on this thing? And he's like, oh, sorry, I made a mistake. Like, uh, I'll, te- I'll check with you next time. Uh, he has okay. a son named Jake. He's talking to Keiko outside the school okay, yeah, mysteriously. Yeah. And he's like, oh, Jake's grades are bad. And then he Got finds it. out Jake's grades are okay. So he's the commander of the space station. Got it. And in the first episode, Picard actually is the one who officially gives him the station. He's very, very cold to Picard because Picard doesn't know what he did. And he's just kind of a jerk to him the entire time. And it culminates at the end of this episode with him essentially cussing out Picard. And, like, there's there's a thing we like to say that Picard likes to big dog people. He's always the adult that can kind of scold you and be, like, kind of, you know put you in your place. And it's one of the only times I've ever seen Picard be big dogged. Cisco kind of puts Picard in his place and it 
essentially says, screw you, screw the Federation, I'm leaving, and I'm done with this, and I hate this all, and I'll be here for until I find a better job. Then he finds this wormhole, and all this religious prophecy stuff kind of comes in, and he sees kind of the importance of what he's doing here, and it kind of starts to reignite his passion for the mission of Starfleet, even if he isn't in love with exactly how things are done within Starfleet. Mm. And he starts to repair the damage done by the loss of his wife and come, gets closer with his son. So in that way, he's very unlike Picard. He loves his son. Picard doesn't like children. He's scared of children. Never had a wife. Picard never had a wife, never had a family. And Cisco is a big family man. Um, and he's, again, willing to paint outside the lines and do things kind of his own way, where Picard is very by the book. And I mentioned he loves baseball. You might have noticed he's, like, tossing a baseball to himself while he's talking. Uh. This is just a fun tidbit I thought you might like to know is in this universe, baseball is extinct. Um, in 2042, it was the final World Series game, and then... Baseball just kind of stopped being a thing. That's weird. But he's kind of like a, he's nostalgic for the old days. So he goes to the Hall of Suite and plays baseball with his son and like will have games with Babe Ruth and he's just obsessed with oh, talking funny. about all these things. And so that's kind of a fun thing. So huh. that's his character. Also, you know, it's kind of, he's a strong, I've brought this up with some of the diversity things since the Star Trek has done well is, you know, he's a strong, commanding black man who loves his son and is you know, a boss. And in the nineties, it wasn't seen very often and wasn't represented very often. So another way why he's different from Picard. So generally speaking in the small time you saw with him, how did you feel about commander Cisco? Fine. <laughs> yep, fair uh, enough. I, I, you know, it's just, again, it's just this episode, not a focus. He is just not a focus at all. Uh, Fair enough. Um, then let me jump to the main character who you hopefully do have more thoughts for. Just generally speaking, how did you like going on this journey with Miles O'Brien, played by Cole Meany? Um, he is not a character I'm intrigued by. I don't mm-hmm. want to know more about him necessarily. But again, the person I saw like supposedly wasn't him. Uh, or, 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 or if it was, it was, was that a good representation of him? Because he seemed stupid. <laughs> like, uh, he, did, he couldn't pick up on like such big things going on and like seemed huh. like he didn't love his wife or, I mean, yeah. or I mean, just like there was like their relationship was so weird mm-hmm. uh, again, but it wasn't their relationship. That's um, true. And I viewed him through that relationship of like, uh, you seem like not a good dad. <laughs> like, why don't you care about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And, and one of the things I think they're trying to get at it with the relationship, even not in this, when you see episodes, because they do have, they're the couple that you see throughout both series that have marital problems. Um, and I think that was kind of the intention is even within a utopia, you can have weirdness with your wife. You can get in arguments. You can, you know, there's a story plot where she's really dissatisfied on the station. She kind of moved there for his job and she was a brilliant botanist and is kind of feeling like she's kind of wasting her talents. And so she goes on a three month long mission to do some botany somewhere and reinvigorate that. And so it's how do they navigate this distance and what does that mean for the relationship? And so you see those kind of struggles, which I think is kind of interesting whether or not they pull it off or not. Um, 
That being said, Colmini did have a quote saying, in playing the replicant O'Brien, he said, in order to not give away what was going on in the audience, we tried to keep him exactly the same. Even though it was a different O'Brien, I played it exactly the way I usually do. It was only the circumstances around him that were weird and gave you the feeling something else was going on. So that answers your question about whether or not it was different. This is O'Brien. And I'm a little surprised to say that you thought like he was kind of stupid because emotionally he's very stunted. That is true. So if you're talking about like his relationship with his wife and stuff, he he's kind of the biggest kind of like, I'm a man character. I like meat that's, and potatoes. That's, and, the, like, that's the vibe I got. That's why I didn't yeah, like him. He is. That being said, he is still Starfleet. Like there's something about his character. So he's actually, I don't know the difference of what this means in the military or whatever, but he's an enlisted man. So he's not an officer. What that means is he's like the main engineer on the station. He's the guy when something breaks, they go to him. He's the Jordy LaForge. Um, and he is technically brilliant. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff where I thought you could see that. Like I liked the touch where they tried to box him in with shields and trap him in that hallway. And he's like, fine, you want shields? So he just turned on all the shields in the entire station um, and kind of hacked the station to make sure no one can go anywhere until they let him huh. go. You know, there's a lot of kind of that kind of stuff that he does. He's very technically brilliant, but yeah, he's a stunted guy. He's uh, seen a lot of war. This episode, actually, there's a thing that they say, um, I think it's what I wrote it down. They said, um, oh yeah, they call it the O'Brien must suffer episodes because there's a lot of episodes where they put him under intense psychological or physical pressure and suffering like he's been tortured, he's been captured. There's a really, really rough episode where he's basically imprisoned in for a crime he didn't commit. And the sentence this alien planet gives him is like a 50-year prison sentence that he serves in his head. So Ooh. no time actually passes, but he, in his mind, he served 50 years in a solitary confinement. So he shoots back into present time and has all of the psychological damage of being a prisoner of war, even though it's been an hour or something like that. Right. Jeez. And so I think the idea is that he's the character that the every man would kind of, you know, he's the construction worker of the crew. And so he's dealing with a lot and trying his best. And emotionally, he doesn't always do what makes the most sense, but He's always trying, and he's actually a fan favorite. A lot of people really like him because he is a very earnest character. Even if he's a jerk sometimes, even if he's grumpy and makes the wrong decision, he's trying through hard circumstances. And so I think people relate to that part quite a bit. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just a broken record. Again, that's probably not yeah. the episode that's going to exemplify that at all. Um, yeah, you're right. Cool. I just, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I, I mean, maybe you even need to see that over time instead of in isolation, but. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to hit, there's a couple of the smaller kind of characters. I'm going to hit them real quick, mostly just to introduce you and our listeners to them. Um, I feel like you probably don't have a lot of thoughts about them, but let's hit them really quick. The next important one is Major Kira Norris. So she's the Bajoran on the station. She's the one that, She's wearing red with short hair and has the cool earring thing. Um, do you remember this character, Kira? Yeah, I remember. 
so she's the first officer of Deep Space Nine, and that makes it, it's kind of interesting because she's not Starfleet, but this, they're working in partnership with the Bajoran people who, again, were that deeply spiritual people on the planet Bajor that became freedom fighters. And so she was promoted as kind of the liaison between the new Bajoran government and Starfleet. And so as that, she was assigned to be Benjamin Sisko's kind of number one. And there's this really interesting kind of cultural interchange that happens between the two of them, right? And so she was a freedom fighter of one of the most infamous rebel cells, actually. She's a badass. She's a war hero, essentially. And she's the tough, you know, no one messes with Kira. She's the badass on the station, um, and so as that, she's kind of trying to learn how to tone it down, how to work with diplomacy instead of just punch her way through issues. Um, and the other interesting thing is she still holds really deeply spiritual beliefs, including believing again that Cisco, the commander, is this prophet called the emissary. So there's this interesting thing where professionally she treats him as a friend and a colleague, but secretly, she kind of worships him in an interesting way. And working that out between their relationship is kind of fun. And so a lot of people really love Kira, but she's she's hard to let her emotion, let people get in emotionally. Mm. And she, I think she is a very cool character. She's, she's kind of the, speaking of Battlestar Galactic, she's kind of the Starbuck of the, yeah. of the station. Um, so do you have any thoughts about Kira just a brief <laughs> encounter with her and you can say no, <laughs> I, no, I, I noticed she had an earring and I thought, Oh, she has an earring. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, a, spi- <laughs> that's a spiritual thing for the Bajorans. So all the Bajorans have an earring like that, that represents their family and a bunch of spiritual things for them. Um, yeah, there's other, speaking of the spirituality, just to give you more about Sarcolactica vibe, there's also these like orbs that come out of the, they're like artifacts that come out of the wormhole that are given by the aliens that live inside the wormhole and they let you like see the future and all this crazy stuff and so Mm. yeah it's there's there's a lot of cool stuff like that and she's usually the conduit for a lot of that spiritual turmoil there's also a a storyline where basically the pope of bajor is kind of an evil person named as she's a hardcore conservative essentially she's like an alt-right uh, traditionalist for their religion. And so she's kind of fighting against that person who's trying to maybe turn their religion back to spiritual theocracy and oppress people. And so there's that kind of push and pull in this episode too, which is another thing that, again, Next Generation never really dealt with, I thought, which I think is interesting. Um, the next character I want to talk about is, and we'll just talk about this super briefly. You don't even have to tell me if you had any opinions. Just... <laughs> Dr. Bashir is the doctor um, that we see examine O'Brien and give him his physical. And so I think this is probably maybe exemplifies the miss of this episode the most because him and O'Brien are actually best friends. And you can see his kind of like his his everymanness in this and his grumpiness because even though they're really good friends, um, you know, if he's annoyed by Bashir, if, if O'Brien is annoyed by Bashir, he'll tell him to F off and get really messed, like mad at him. And they have to have that weird relationship conversation where they come back together. Um, but he's a hot shot. He was like second in his class in medical school and was a huge star. He could have been Victorian, but he some there was some plot line about that. But he essentially was able to choose anywhere he wanted to be stationed because he was a genius in his field, and he chose Deep Space Nine purposely because he's kind of the 
arrogant, pretty boy. Everything works out for me. And he wanted a little like adventure in his life. So he's going to the outer rim, essentially. He's going mm-hmm. to the Wild West. He's going to the Tatooine to do some frontier medicine work. Um, and he kind of quickly learns that maybe he was a little bit um, prideful, maybe, in thinking that he could fix these issues himself. And he is learning to kind of be a little bit more humble and he's kind of a fun character. He starts out really, really annoying, but he ends up being kind of a cool character. Um, but he's the doctor of the station. Do you have any thoughts, Mike? Uh, don't remember him. (laughs) Perfect. Great. (laughs) Um, and then the last two that I think are pretty interesting to talk about is Odo, who is the security chief. And this is one of the parts where the mystery I thought was really cool because Odo's off on some mission as you, saw and he returns midway through the episode. So O'Brien goes to him thinking, okay, if there is an infestation on this station, Odo probably hasn't gotten it because he hasn't been here. Right. So he goes to Odo and he's like, Hey, something's going on. We need to go. We need to figure out what's everyone's acting weird. We need to figure it out. And then the next time you see Odo, he seems suspicious of O'Brien. So in my mind, I thought that really worked because I'm like, Oh no, they got Odo. If there is some influence on this ship, they got him. It's a, that's the invasion of the body snatcher thing. Hmm. And so that was something that worked for me, but Odo is an interesting character. And again, you don't see it in this, so I'm sorry again, but (laughs) he is a, he's kind of in a way the data of the station because Hmm. Star Trek always wants to have at least one of these characters that's out of place or seemingly unique, doesn't understand the people around him. And that's Odo. Odo is a changeling. So he was found in this, like in some cluster of something and he can turn into a gold goo and change his body. He's basically like an anamorph. He can change into different animals. He can change into rocks. He can change into lots of things. He's a shapeshifter. And they found him as this seemingly sentient goo and brought him to Mm. a science facility. Be like, what is this thing? And eventually he turned into a person that was sentient. And so once they realized that they kind of, you know, let him go and he decided to become a security officer and use his skills as a shapeshifter to solve crimes. And, you know, he'll turn his arms into giant tentacles and beat up bad guys, for example. Um, And so as part of that, you know, he doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't understand how people fall in love. He doesn't understand why people like food. He's very grumpy. He really wants to know more about himself, where he comes from and feels very alone in the universe. Hmm. Um, And his thing is he worked for the Cardassians actually during the occupation. Um, But the Bajorans never really held it against him because he's obsessed with justice. Both the Cardassians and the Bajorans respect him because he was always fair he would never side with anyone. And he's kind of a lone wolf just trying to bring bad guys to heal. Mm. And so he's kind of an interesting character in that way. Um, probably don't have any opinions of him, but I don't know. He's a cool, he's a cool guy and a very interesting character in this up in this show. Mm, I'll take your word for it. Perfect. And then the last one, I think this is an important one. And I, th- I hope you have a couple thoughts about this character because <laughs> you do get a little bit of him. Quark. So he's the bartender that I talked about. Um, His species are the Ferengi. So they were a new species that were introduced in Next Generation. And in a lot of ways, they are also anti-Federation, 
Whereas the Federation is a utopian society that has given up money and their entire society is based on learning and discovery and helping others. The Ferengi society is based completely on greed and capitalism. It's essentially their religion. Their Bible is called the Rules of Acquisition, and it's just rules to teach all good Ferengi how to maximize profit and screw other people over and get to the top, including your friends and family. So that's why he's always conniving, because it's not just that he's greedy just to be greedy. He His entire culture rewards you making the extra dollar and taking a dollar out of your friend and family and some loser over there's pocket and putting it in your own pocket. Um, but again, they put up with his shenanigans because he brings a service to the station that, you know, helped them actually rebuild after this war, this wartime. But it can get very interesting having kind of a very conniving, greedy person on the station in conflict with those Federation ideals did you pick up on anything with Quark and how he was? Uh, he's the he's the alien with the big ears and the sharp teeth. Uh, yeah, I he felt like the bartender at a town you walk into that you don't know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wish I could say more, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I think that's an interesting aspect of this as well. And so I, I I see now that I picked the wrong episode. I will call out one other character that I think is cool. There's a character named Jedzia Dax. You hear her voice. She's on what she talks about one of, like in one of the logs that O'Brien's going through. You hear her talking about stuff. She is a species called Trill, which is kind of a cool thing. That was also, I think, introduced in Next Generation. But the Trill are these sentient worms basically that can live i think forever they might have a really long lifespan or they can live forever and they're a symbiote species and the thing that's interesting is you know i'll make up numbers there's maybe a thousand trill worm symbiotes but there's a whole planet of trill people which are humanoids that have these cool spots on their necks Mm. and so basically what their society does is they pick the thousand best people in their society and they get to be joined with a trill symbiote. And so did Jadzia Dax is, has this essential worm, essentially a worm inside of her because she was picked as one of these special few. And what that does is it connects her to all the other hosts that she's ever been in. So she's basically lived nine lifetimes as males, as females, as mothers, as Mm. actually the last host. So, um, I forgot his name, but the Dax is the is the uh, the symbiote, and then Jedzia is the person's name. And so it was like you would be like Mike Dax, and I would be Peter Dax, for example. And I forgot his name; I should remember it. But the last host that Jedzia had was Benjamin Sisko, the commander's best friend, and he was this like rowdy, drinking like old man that like taught at Starfleet Academy and like gambled and swashbuckled and then he died and his trill was put into this young woman who has all of his memories cisco lovingly calls her old man because that's how he used to refer to his best friend and it's this weird thing where she has the memories of his best friend and they have that existing relationship but it's a completely new face a completely new person and so that's kind of a cool element i just want to shout that out because she's a cool character as well that is Um, cool but she's not in this episode 
another mistake. I'm just going to keep beating up on myself for that. No, it was, you know, (laughs) it was a fun episode. It was, yeah, yeah. You know, wrong time, wrong place. Okay. I will think about this. I don't know if we will jump back into any sort of Deep Space Nine. We will decide it and we'll figure it out. But do you have any last thoughts about this episode? Did you, did you like the payoff? Let's, let's end on that. When you finally saw what was happening in the caves, which I should shout out, you got introduced to the famous Star Trek caves. There's this one set that is just a cave set that throughout all of Star Trek, every series, they just use the same set over and over and just light it different ways and film it from different angles to make uh-huh. it seem like different planets. But uh, this is, he goes into the famous Star Trek caves and he finds a secret door and opens it up and he sees that, that Cisco and Kira are doing something weird with these rebels and it ends up, they open another secret door and there's another O'Brien behind the door and Bashir is treating that O'Brien. And it turns out that O'Brien that we have following the whole time is a replicant who gets shot and killed. And the real O'Brien has been trapped, sick and injured by the, by these people this entire time. So how did the payoff work for you? It was a fun, it was a fun payoff. I'll give it that. I'll give it that, that I was like, you can do this once and it work well once and go like, okay. Um, it, yeah. So the payoff moment, nice, pretty fun. Won't watch again. Uh Maybe, maybe I would if I knew these characters and Mm -hmm. I had, I was invested anywhere. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Still fun. Great. Cool. Well, thank you for checking it out. I appreciate you giving your thoughts. And for anyone who's listening and following along with us, give us your thoughts too. Let me know if you're new to Star Trek, if the characters worked for you and the explanations helped enrich anything, or, you know, if if maybe you knew these characters and it worked for you a little better, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this worked for you. All right, let's close this up. If you remember, Mike, we are doing a little bit of risk in this. Um, this is something, again, I, I, the, there's a Star Trek podcast called The Greatest Generation that I really love that does a board game that introduces some risks. So I'm ripping them off a little bit. I have a 20-sided D&D dice. We used to play D&D quite a bit, and I have this dice. If I roll a natural one, if I roll a one out of 20, I'm going to make you watch a very bad episode. It's kind Ooh. of your your punishment. And evidently, if I roll a 20, which is the good one, I'm going to make you steak. <laughs> um, so that's going to be fun. Yes. I just added a wild card, and you'll see why if we ever go on it, is if I roll a four, I have something special in mind for you. I don't know if we ever will, but I hope that we do. Are you ready to take our fate into our hands, Mike? Oh, my goodness. Let's do it. All right. Here's my dice. I'm pulling it out, and I am going to roll. Mike, 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 Mike. I got a four. No, you didn't. I did. I got a four. That, so what does that, what does that mean? Do you have any guesses what a four could be? What the significance of four could be? You probably don't, but I am just feeling devious right now. Oh boy, do we finally just get us to talk about Star Star Wars again? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. Okay. Okay. So... Because I rolled a four, I am going to make you watch a movie. You are going to watch Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Oh, boy. So this is going to be your introduction to the original cast. So this is Kirk. 
This is Kirk. This is Spock. It's kind of interesting. I wonder how this will work. This might be, I mean, I don't have strong feelings for the original cast. So even if you're like, I hate this, I don't care really because that's not my vibe either. Um, but it is kind of interesting that you're going to be introduced to them in a movie and not in an episode. The reason that I am giving you this is not because it's a great movie. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I have a very fond, nostalgic feeling for this movie. Okay. I find it very goofy. It's very funny. It's unintentionally funny in a lot of places. Um, And it's very, very weird. And so let me give you some background. Okay. Um, This is some spoilers for Star Trek 2 and 3 if you haven't seen those movies that came out over 20 years ago. Um, But uh, (laughs) generally speaking, in Star Trek 2, Spock dies. Um, I don't really remember the details about Star Trek three, but somehow Spock becomes reborn and Kirk does something to get him in trouble at the Federation to find Spock, his best friend, his confidant, the person he's closest with in the Federation. They have a really deep relationship, but Star Trek three ends with them having Spock and they're essentially criminals. The enterprise has been blown up and they hijacked a Klingon bird of prey so they're flying around in a Klingon ship with Spock and they're about to turn themselves in for their crimes. They're saying like, hey, okay, we messed up. We're going to go back to the Federation and atone for our crimes. Um, but on the way, they get into a zany time travel adventure. Um, but I say all this also to to point out that in this movie, in Star Trek Four, Spock doesn't really, ha- he lost a bunch of his memories in dying. And so he doesn't really remember his relationship with Kirk. So he's weird and they're trying to reteach him all this stuff. So that's why he's kind of being like a weird C-3PO kind of guy. One of the reasons why I thought this would be fun for us to watch is that the zany time travel adventure they get into actually takes place in the 1980s San Francisco (laughs) and involves a whale napping that is filmed at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is a place that you and I are very familiar with and have fond memories of. I live down the street from it. You do, and so we, we've gone there many times together, and so I think it might be kind of fun for you to see, you know, a lot of San Francisco stuff and see the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and this is going to be a goofy-ass movie, and okay. I really love it, so wow. let's, let's let's strap in for this one. Again, the next one we were watching is the movie Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, which wow. I know is available on Paramount+, and I'm sure is available on other places, so check it out and let us know your thoughts as well. Wow. You ready for that, Mike? You ready for some whale ventures? Yeah. I, I've always heard about this. Okay, um, cool. I heard about it even at the even at the aquarium, um, but have never seen it. So this is something that's long overdue. Great, great, great. I am excited for that. Um, before we close out, I just want to shout out um, one of our listeners and let me pull up their email real quick. This was sent to us by Veronica Skywalker Picard, who Veronica has messaged us in the past and has been a great supporter. And they messaged saying that they are excited that we are watching Star Trek episodes and had some cool recommendations for us. And some of these, I I replied, we won't get into them, but The Inner Light is a great episode of Next Generation that I think everyone should check out. I think you would actually love that episode, Mike, The Inner Light. Mm. It's a very cool episode uh, that does some very interesting 
stuff um, that I've never seen in sci-fi before. Uh, I probably won't make you watch this in this series, but if anyone's into a cool Next Generation episode, very Picard-focused and very wonky, check out The Inner Light. And I just want to say thank you for your support, Veronica. Thank you for emailing us. I love your suggestions, and some of them I think I am going to take under consideration for sure. Wow. Love it. Okay. That being said, Mike, do you want to tell people where they can find us? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rebels Rebels Pod, um, where I'm where I generally well, where where Peter is. I was gonna say <laughs> where I generally have more thoughts, but I have no thoughts there. I feel very thoughtless today. Mm-hmm. No worries. It's I kind of backed you into a thought vacuum corner, but yes. Yeah. Message us at Rebels Rebels Pod at Gmail or Instagram or Twitter, like Mike said. And in the meantime, Mike, do you want to tell people, oh, do we sign off with Don't Look Back? I don't know. I'll sign off with this. Thank you for listening and double dumbass on you, which you will get (laughs) after you watch Star Trek 4. I don't don't get it, but I love it. I know. It's great. We're going to be saying that a lot. Okay. Damn, damn. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.